Mediated Conversation on SAFM. 25 minutes to nine. Good morning. As you know, our economy is not producing nearly enough jobs and not enough opportunities for people, and particularly young people, to get into work. One of the responses from government to this is to try and promote a policy of localization. In other words, to try and get government departments and SOEs and some companies to use products that are made here. So, as an example, this may include a company like Eskom being told they should buy or must buy a part for a power station boiler from a South African rather than from someone directly in Germany. The idea is to try and create jobs here to provide support for local businesses, but there are other consequences to this. It could make buying this part more expensive for Eskom. One of the claims that is made is that it also leads to middlemen, people who do nothing to add value to the part, they just buy it and sell it so to Eskom, so Eskom can legally buy the part under localization policies. Of course, there are other definitions around this and other definitions around procurement, but it is the policy of localization that we'll focus on this morning. First, you'll hear from the Department of Trade and Industry, Trade, Industry and Competition. Dr. Tabocha Makube is the Chief Director for Industrial Procurement and Development at the Department of Trade, Industry and Competition. Then you'll hear from someone who is critic of localization. Anne Bernstein is the Executive Director at the Center for Development and Enterprise. And then finally, Nokwanda Maseko is a Senior Economist at Trade and Industrial Policy Strategies. Tips. We start then with Dr. Toboho Makube. Dr. Makube, good morning and thanks for your time. Uh, Let's start by defining what we're talking about. What is localization? Well, um, if you refer to um, localization in the public sector procurement it's regarding um, the sourcing of locally manufactured um, products in South Africa. So we have started uh, with the regulation supporting uh, localization in the public procurement system in 2011. So we have been having that as a policy but also as part of the preferential procurement regulations from 2011 up until um, 2017 um, regulations which were uh, unfortunately set aside by the Constitutional Court last year. So in essence, it's about supporting locally manufactured products. Uh, It does not dictate um, the nature of sourcing. So I must dispel the myth that there is also a requirement that um, uh, organs of state must procure through a middleman. Uh, that that is a fallacy. Okay, so how, so you, you you have to explain to me how it works. What does it mean if the water affairs department wants to fix a dam and it needs to buy a part for that? What does it mean in that case? So we we have um, twenty eight products, right? So commodities. So in relation to water affairs, you. There are uh, meters which are, are designated for local content at about 70%. We have valves, um, we have cables, we have cement, which was the last product which we designated uh, in November uh, 2021, which was 100% requiring um, local manufacturing of cement. So what it means is that we have different products with, with different thresholds. So anything with 100%, uh, local content requirement means that ideally we do not allow imports to come in. Um, 
So, for instance, if the department buys um, cement for the construction of of dams, that is 100%. We don't allow um, imports. So, but on others less than 100%, it means um, uh, bidders can go overseas and and procure those components so that local manufacturing can happen in 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 the country. And it covers. And not only uh, water-related infrastructure, but the ro- um, rail rolling stock, which I think it received sure. um, attention from the um, CDE study, where it is alleged that we are forcing government departments to, or organ the state, like state-owned companies, uh, transmit that we are forcing them to buy from local manufacturers. It, it's a legislative requirement, and I can, if I have time, share with you some of the positive. Uh, I'm going to come to that, Dr. Mukube. I need you to to explain it to me um, as if I as if I've never understood it before. So, so let me just start again. So, so when a government department, so it applies to, so so who does it apply to? It applies to a government department, right? But it also applies to the people who supply them. So, a contractor who was fixing this damn wall also needs to then comply with the policy. Is that right? Yes, that's right. If you are going to do business with, with the government, then you're supplying government. A, a designated product. Yeah. So the government means state-owned companies as well, broadly. Any, any state-owned um, um, organ of state. But it doesn't apply to a private company or a private person if you're doing business with them? No. Okay. And then... If the government department doesn't do it, are there exemptions at all, or do they have to follow it? So for each and every designated product, we have built in an exemption process. So okay. if, a, if a component or material is not available in the country, bidders can approach uh, the DTIC for an exemption prior to the closing of, of the tender. Okay. Yeah. okay. I am going to give you a chance to to sort of support the policy, but you say that the idea of the creation of a group of middlemen is not happening. Why do you say that? No, no. Um, It's not part of the local content policy. Uh, No way. Local content is about supporting or procuring locally manufactured products. If then you talk about uh, sourcing from middlemen, um, that, that... it has to do with another um, government policy, but not local content. So that's not true. It's okay. not even supported by any legal statute. All right. I promised that I'd give you a chance to, to justify the policy. So this is your moment. Why is it the right policy? Well, it, it, it's the right policy because it responds to the economic challenges we have in the country. So, um, and, and besides CDE studies, the tips. I'm happy that my colleagues from TIPS is here, uh, including Gibbs last week, um, released a study indicating that there are socioeconomic uh, benefits for supporting locally manufactured products. I think it's done by any other country. Uh, no country can develop on the basis of imports alone. And it is important that as government, we come up with measures to improve productivity in South Africa. And I don't think that can be regarded as a as a cardinal sin, we are not dealing with a religious problem here. We are dealing with the economic problem. So there are multiplier effects associated with with an increase in, in productivity. And obviously using different uh, uh, economic instruments. So uh, local content is one 
of the main um, economic instruments that can be used to support the struggling economy such as South Africa. So, I mean, the idea would be South Africans should consume products made by South Africans. Ideally, that that should be like that. But also remember that we are not necessarily closing uh, opportunities to sure. to um, uh, multinational companies. I mean, some of the companies uh, delivering designated products are multinational companies. In the rail sector, we do have uh, Siemens, we do have Alstom, which are not necessarily domiciled in South Africa, but they are assisting South Africa to to manufacture these products. Okay. Have you done any research on whether it's working, on whether it's leading to more companies employing more people in South Africa? Do you have evidence to show that the policy from 2011 has made a difference? Well, um, there, there are studies which the DTIC has done, um, and, and also working with various organizations, we have reviewed um, the impact of that. What I can tell you now is that through this policy and based on the reports that we have, is that we have been able to save more than 78 billion rand, which could have been used, uh, and, and that is public finance, which can be should could have been used to support other economies. You know, we are externalizing public finance, and through uh, this policy, the money has been used in the country um, to to create opportunities uh, and 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 jobs. So um, that we do have the, the results, but um, in in analyzing localization broadly, you also have to do some institutional frameworks, you know, in terms of how government is procuring, whether there are efficiencies uh, in that. Dr. Bochum Kube, thank you. Chief Director of Industrial Procurement and Development at the Department of Trade, Industry and Competition. You're with SAFM. It's just gone a quarter to nine. Your mediated conversation on the policy of localization continues. Anne Bernstein is the Executive Director at the Center for Development and Enterprise. And good morning. Good morning, Stephen. You've heard a defense there of the policy of localization. You have recently been very critical of localization. What do you believe would happen if we stop the policy of localization? It would seem to hear from government that we would lose quite a lot of money. It would just leave the country. Well, I think that was not a very convincing argument about the money. I didn't quite follow exactly what Dr. Mahubi was saying. Our view is that Localization policy across the board in South Africa as a general policy as part of our industrial strategy is making it more expensive for our economy. It's making our economy more inefficient. So what's happening is we're saying to people, the government has to buy local. Why would anybody buy anything else? Everyone would want to buy local. You don't buy local if it the product isn't available or it's more expensive or it's, a, it's not a very good product. That's when you go for imports. So you have to understand that when we compel government to buy local, you're putting up the price of the good that they need. And there are lots of examples now. From Transnet to Eskom, they're telling us that in lots of different ways, the localization policy is pushing up the costs of all sorts of things from transmission lines. When Namibia 
can create a transmission line at two and a half times cheaper than South Africa's Eskom. Or Transnet saying that they can't compete. They have to, this policy of localization is forcing their costs up. Now, Dr. Mahoba mentioned that you can apply for an exemption from the policy, and he's correct. But he didn't tell us that it's done product by product, so one, com- one exemption at a time. And we're told that this is taking months and months and months to resolve, and this then pushes up the price of the service or good that a South African entity is trying to produce. So there are lots of ways in which localization is making this, making it more expensive to do business in South Africa. So there may be an extra, no, sure, there may be an extra cost, but doesn't it also lead to more jobs in South Africa? And that over time creates more demand. So the argument would go that it stimulates demand. And yes, there may be a greater cost in the short term, but in the longer term, it leads to more South Africans being employed, and that's a good thing. That would be the argument. Well, we're a small economy, and I think most people agree from the president to almost everyone else that we have to integrate into the global economy in order to expand. We need to find niche markets in the global economy for South African exporters. The problem with localization is we're we're putting up the walls and we're saying we're going to sell things to each other and that's how we're going to grow. But in fact, we need to... To export more. And so what the experts are saying is when you make a good for export, you often have to import intermediate products. And we make that more expensive with high tariffs. So we are curbing South Africa's ability to export more, to grow the economy and more jobs through exports by how we are handling localization. What, one of the other problems about localization is you, you put up the goods for consumers, whether it's another company or government or, or you and me. Our food prices go up when we say we're going to put big tariffs on chicken, for example. Uh, so there are a lot of consequences of what seems to be a benign policy. And you know, Stephen, once you start something like that, you protect my firm, and I'm not a very efficient firm, and you push away competition from external operators. Instead of fixing the South African environment to make it a much more cost-efficient place in which to do business, fixing energy, fixing the ports, the roads, crime, all sorts of things that push up the cost of doing business, we're protecting firms that are not very efficient to begin with, and they become less and less efficient, and they demand more and more protection. So it's a direction for the economy that we think is very dangerous. And Bernstein, thank you. Executive Director at the Centre for Development and Enterprise. In a moment, Nokwanda Maseko, Senior Economist at Trade and, Industry, Trade and Industrial Policy Strategies. You are there, CFM, nine minutes to nine. Mediated Conversation on SAFM. Continue a mediated conversation this morning about localization. Nakwanda Maseko is a senior economist at Trade and Industrial Policy Strategies. Tips Nakwanda, good morning. Thanks for your time. Morning, Stephen. Thanks for having me. To try and work out if government policy is working in an economy can be quite complex. How do we assess if this policy is working or not? 
I mean, I think you have to look at what exactly the point of the policy is. What are the goals and the targets that it's set out to achieve? And obviously, because we operate in an environment that's not static, you know, things change. So it becomes a bit complicated to know when exactly we fail to reach the goals because of the policy or because of um, something else. So load shedding would be an example of, um, you know, something that's affecting the South African economy in the sense that it's making the economy less productive than it would have been. And so sometimes we have to think of these um, external factors that are affecting the economy. And that might be part of the reason why a policy is not succeeding. But I think the important thing to look at is whether each policy is meeting the goals that it was set out to meet. Are our policies different from what other countries do? I mean, I presume many other countries also have localization policies of their own. No, not entirely. I mean, I think generally some countries probably have a different name for it, right? Um, They're not necessarily calling it um, localization. An example of this would actually be the CHIPS Act in the U.S. that was um, implemented as part of, uh, you know, Joe Biden's um, first term. When you look at that act and the fact that, um, you know, the U.S. is trying to manufacture semiconductors locally, they've actually put in about $52.7 billion into that. Um, endeavor and about 39 billion of that is just for manufacturing support. Um, and so I think different countries have this, um, diff- these same policies such as localization. It's just that sometimes they might call it um, by another name and not necessarily call it localization. But at the end of the day, it's there to support um, local industry build, you know, capability and um, production capacity. One of the criticisms against localization is that it raises the cost of doing business. And it would seem sort of logical to me that it might. You know, if you now have to choose between Woodville, if you're going to buy, you can't just buy the cheapest one. You have to buy the one uh, used in South Africa. Does it does it push up the cost of doing business? Yes. Um, I think the important question is, you know, is the cost, uh, is the is taking the cost actually worth the benefit, right? So, I mean, when you look at, um, you made an example earlier about um, ESCOM, that is probably an emergency situation. But um, I think we tend to look at emergency situations as a way of analyzing the overall policy when we should be looking at broader policy itself. Like, um, you know, the state procures quite a lot of goods. Um, and when we say it raises the cost of doing business, is that true? Yes, it's true. But the benefit of that is that we're able to build local industrial capacity, maybe not in the short term, but over the long term, the goal is to be able to have that industrial capacity, which should also lead to employment creation. And so some of the benefits tend to far outweigh the cost that we might be paying, um, you know, upfront. And so this policy, should we be evaluating it on the basis of the cost that we paid upfront or the benefits that we're seeing maybe 10 years from now, 20 years from now? Because, I mean, as I said, of the day the state procures quite a lot of goods and there is benefit to supporting local production of those goods and it's not just a policy that the state implement other industries like the auto sector for example have this 
localization. Yes, the percentage is still relatively low at around 40%, but it's something that the auto industry has committed to. And we've seen that it's actually affecting and, and, and creating much more smaller suppliers for the, you know, for the OEMs that are operating in the country. We have components manufacturers. We have, um, you know, people that are supplying raw materials to the components manufacturers. And as Dr. Makuva said, there's multiplier effects for that. And so we can't be short-sighted and look at the upfront costs and say that those are going to outweigh the long-term benefits. Nokonda Maseko, thank you. Senior Economist to Trade and Industrial Policy Strategies Tips. My thanks also to Anne Bernstein, Executive Director at the Centre for Development and Enterprise. And starting us off today, Dr. Tabojo Makube, the Chief Director of Industrial Procurement and Development at the Department of Trade, Industry and Competition. Well, as you can hear, it's a complex discussion. I think there are going to be a lot more complex discussions around our economy coming up in the near future for various reasons. Well, thanks for being with us today. We, of course, will be back with you tomorrow. There's a lot more to come for you through the day here on SFM. I get the sense that it might be another of those busy weeks. I suspect that there's going to be a lot more news uh, coming through this week, even though it was a fairly busy news weekend. I think a lot, of course, going on on the sporting front as well to look forward to. From Mdu.